0: And 1 Corinthians deals with a lot of the, the issues of the church. 1 Corinthians deal with the issues of the church. Um, and a lot of times, and I, I think 1 Corinthians is where we are as a church, where we need to be. But a lot of times we can deal with issues and not realize what the root is. Um, and a lot of times the root is that we don't understand who we are. The root is our identity, and a lot of times we know who we are at times, but then when we get into a situation, when we get into a moment, it gets so hectic that we forget. Anybody ever been in that? Like, you've learned something from God before, and then you get into a tight, and you forget, and then he has to remind you later, and you're like, I knew that. I knew that. And sometimes we can forget who we are as a people, and I was, I think it was, I can't remember what night it was, but I pulled up my Bible app, and I was, I was preparing a sermon for you this week, uh, that was gonna be called Judas's Kiss, um, but uh, that's not where I am. I I got in I looked, got on my phone right before I was going to bed. I was gonna read, uh, just read through some scriptures, just to read, and. Um, I found myself in Ephesians chapter 2 and God said, I need you to remind them of who they are. So this is who, this is where we are this morning. I might hoop and holler, I might not, we'll see. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, I'm going to try to get through this whole chapter to be honest with you this morning. Um, there is a uh, the verse in, I believe it's in Colossians that we are to uh, make sure that we read scripture together. That's important. It's not just, you know, we stand up and and do a sermon, but that we're supposed to read scripture because the word is what's going to cause us to grow. The word is what's going to cause us to change. It's going to do the sanctification. I can preach a message to you to get you through a moment in time, but the word is going to get you through the seasons. The word is what grows your faith. And so, um, I want to make sure that we always 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 continue to read scripture that is important not only uh here in church but outside of church find you a rhythm find you a routine to get in your word and don't stop. make it a routine we i can uh, watching a video uh earlier this week and um secular video, but the guy was talking about. Um, how he sets a routine, he sets a schedule in place, and he continues to do that schedule, and that's what brought him success was that he had a routine. Now, if the secular world can take that thought and use it and allow them to grow, we can take that thought. We can take that and grab onto it. and I stay in my word every day. I have time allotted for me to be alone with God. When we set those things in our schedule those things causes, cause us to grow. And that way we don't look back three months and say, you know what, I've only read my Bible by myself twice. That, that's, that shouldn't be, you know, we, how we fight. We need to be able to fight without our weapon, then we cannot. So it's important that we read our word. Amen? I hope I'm pushing a button here. I hope this is a jab into someone's side, because you can't make it on my crumbs. Our pastor, Dylan's crumbs. This is the bread of life. I can eat it all I want, but if you're just picking up my crumbs, that's not going to help. You need to eat something with some substance so that you can make it. Okay, thank you, Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. It says, and he made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, let me say this to you. When I'm going to skip the first phrase. And I'm going to go back to it in just a second. Uh, you need to remember that you were dead in trespasses and sins. When it says trespasses there, the definition of the word means a misstep right? It wasn't, it doesn't have to be intentional. It can be unconsciously. This isn't sin that you thought in your head that you, you know what, I'm going to just do it anyway. That's not the sin. That's not the word used here. It's a misstep. It's unconscious. And then the word sin that is the word uh, hamartia, something like that, and it means to miss the mark. Uh, That means you're aiming for something, but you've fallen short. For all those fall short of but all fall short of the glory of God. That's where that verse comes in. We fall short. I want you to recognize something here, that these two sins are not the worst ones. Okay? It does not say that you were dead in rebellion, that you were dead in just your disregard for God. He didn't say that. He said, you know, for the the the, the misstep, you just unconsciously, Missing. You just made a mistake. You didn't try to do it. You weren't thinking about doing it. You just made a mistake. You were dead because of those things. Get that in this verse. Because sometimes we think we could, should. The only sin we have are the sins that we participate in, that we consciously do within ourselves. But we have unconscious sin that we participate in. You got me. And he says, in those things, you're even dead. But, let's go back to our first phrase, and you, he made alive. Jesus is who we're speaking about there, is he. That's what it is talking about in Ephesians chapter 1. Jesus has made us alive. Uh, Verse number 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. I want you to watch this connection. That the the another version of this says that the age of this world. All right, you once walked according to the age of this world. All right, you need to know that the uh, course of this world is led by. It says it right there, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is a represent is representing Satan there. So the world is being led by, is being led according to, by Satan. Okay, he is leading the world. And we were once led by Satan himself. It says the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, I want you to understand this, that's not saying that Satan is inside of every non-believer. That's not the point that he's making there. But they have the same spirit as Satan. Satan had pride and a disregard for God, and he wanted to be above him. And every unbeliever has that same spirit prideful and think that they want to be their own. They want to be their own God. They want to lead their own lives. That's what he's saying here are the sons of disobedience. And you need to remember that you were once one of those. That causes humility when we remember where we come from. Verse number three among whom also we are. All once, we all, sorry, I got a fold in my page right there. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. We all participated in all of these things that unbelievers participate in. How is it that we somehow get saved and we look down upon the things that the unbelievers participate in like we didn't participate in it from the beginning. Like we didn't do that. We did it. I'm guilty. I, I did it. I participated in all the things of my flesh and the desires that I had. And then I like the end of this, end of this when He says, they were by nature children of wrath. Naturally, because they were naturally born, they deserve the wrath of God. So right now, Judah and Matthew and every other baby in there, they were all naturally born. None of them are born of the spirit right now. None of them are saved. So guess what? They are children of wrath. We are born. Well, Zeke, children of wrath. I saw some of that last night. I had to get Judah. I had to get him. I mean, I got him. Good. Children of wrath. And what he's saying is that that wrath is, is, is the judgment and the anger of God that we know is going to come one day. We are all, we were all a part of that. If we were believers, we were a part of that. And we deserve that wrath and judgment that God was going, that God is going to give one day. Verse number four. But God, but God who is rich, who is abundant, who is abounding in, remember, mercy is not giving us what we deserved. He's abounding. He's abundant in the ability that he can be patient enough to not give you what you deserve right at that moment. Because if he gave it to us right when we deserved it, none of us would be here. None of us would be here. Uh, So who is rich in mercy and because of his great love. Now this shocks me. I don't know if it does this to you. I don't even know why we have the word great in there. We've all heard of the uh, different types of words in the Greek for love and that word is agape and agape love is already great. So then he expounded on even more to say it was even more great. So agape love which is already the highest love that is that we can ever try to get to um, it is a godly love, and if you go to 1 Corinthians 13, I think it's 13, he, uh, Paul explains it there, what agape love is, and man, do we struggle with it. I know I struggle with it, but this is, that's the greatest love that we can achieve, and Paul says here that God has this love, it's great. So think about that, and I know some of you might be like, what, uh, why are you making this point? You need to understand, he doesn't just have a love, he has a great love. Love, okay, which he loved us. And not only does he have it, but he has poured it out on us. He's poured it out on us. Verse number five, even when we were dead in trespasses, I just said he poured his love out on us. And then verse number five says, even when we were dead in trespasses, even when I was not a believer, he was Pouring his love out on us. And then it says, he made us alive together with Christ. And this is why I want to remind you of who we are. He's talking about the church here. And he's just not talking about the church in Ephesus. He's just not writing and telling the church in Corinth. He doesn't know this. But when I say he, I'm speaking of the Holy Spirit knows that he's writing to us, the church that he made us together notice he's not talking about one person here yes he's made us individually alive but he's made us alive together we are interconnected and we must see that because in our old days when we were sons and daughters of disobedience we like to be alone alone is okay I can just do my own thing. But now he's called us to, make, he's made us to live together. There's this spirit in the world that I need to get mine, that I can be successful, and I don't need anybody else. And we have preachers who will stand up in the audience and tell you, you don't need nobody else, and people going blah, 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 and do this and do that. But the scripture says he's made us alive Together, and sometimes I'm not saying that they are wrong for that because I know exactly what they're trying to say, but sometimes we can look around at the people who are believers with us and think that somehow we don't need them. No, but I need Pastor Griffith's church across the street. I need First Baptist Church when they have Sunday night football out there at the track. I I, I mean, I need that. We need all of them. We all made us, they made us alive together but somehow we have separated ourselves like we don't need each other, but truly we do. I need St. John's Missionary Baptist Church. I need them, I need free canning. We need all these believers. We are, we are alive together with them. I don't want us to confuse the church. The, the, the church is everyone, it's, it's universal and we are made alive together. Uh, Verse number, where am I? Six. Because we're going to get to the saved by grace in verse eight, I think. And not only has he made us alive together, but he's now raised us up together. And then he goes on to say he made us sit together. Watch this. He's giving us a picture of exactly what happened with Jesus here. Okay? Jesus died. He was was made alive, he was raised, and then he sat down in the right hand of the seat of the throne of God. And so he's showing us that in our spirit, our spirit was dead, that God has now made our spirit alive, raised it up, and has allowed us to sit right with Jesus in in the spiritual realm, in heavenly places, which lets us know that we are spiritual beings. We are in heavenly places, seated there with Christ Jesus. What does this mean for me? I have to look above my situation. Y'all missed that, I guess. I have to look above where I am right now in life because I'm seated in heavenly places. So I may see myself in the flesh in this situation, in this spot, going through this thing. But really, if I'm in Christ, I'm not in it anyway this is just temporary. I'm really seated with Christ. I'm really seated with him. So I'm above whatever it is I may be going through. I'm above anxiety at this point right now because I'm seated with Christ. He's sitting down. That's something we need to, we can focus on. He says we're seated with him. I mean, We don't have to be tired. We ain't working. We're sitting down with Christ. The work has already been done. I don't need to fight anxiety. It's been one. I can sit with Christ. Okay, that goes for anything that you can think of. I'm just using anxiety. That's something that's been on my mind this morning. Verse number seven, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We can look forward to God's kindness. We can look forward to his grace. It will be poured out on us. That's what gives us the hope to continue on. That's what gives us the hope to keep going. We are focused on what is to come in Christ Jesus. I want you to uh, catch this, that he continues to says, he and Christ Jesus and Jesus Christ, because that's what the focus is. When we take our focus off of that, we find ourselves not seated in heavenly places, but right where we are. See, we have an unfair advantage. Stay with me. We have an unfair advantage. We get to be in heavenly places and watch as things are going on. We can be above all the things in our life, but people who are not, who are not believers and people who uh, focus on the flesh, they put themselves at an unfair advantage by placing themselves on the earth. So Christians are walking around fleshly. We're walking around on the ground, carnal, living in the things of this world, rather than being seated with Christ in heavenly places and having an advantage over these things. It doesn't seem right that we are Christians and we struggle with the same thing that the world struggles with. That makes no sense to me. All right, that was me. I'm going to say it again. I'll, I'll continue to say it. It makes no sense to me that we deal with and struggle with the same things of this world when we are above that. Hopefully you get that. Verse number eight. This is one we love to quote. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. By grace, that was uh, his ability to give us what we do not deserve. Okay, mercy was him uh, withholding what we do deserve. Grace is him giving us what we do not deserve. By his grace, his favor, by him, uh By that grace, you have been saved, and it's through faith. And I like this because we somehow believe that we can muster up the faith to get this done, but we didn't muster up anything because that faith is a gift of God. And then it goes into it in verse number 9, and it talks about the reason why that is because we we aren't able to boast about it. God doesn't want us to be able to boast about getting our own salvation because if we can boast about it, now we can look down on other people. Well, you know... (laughs) They don't get it yet, you know we we can't do that because the only reason we have it is because God gave it to us, and that's all faith uh, we We can't take it like He gave us this little faith. now we do grow our faith, but He gives it to us. There are times in my life, and I'm like, God, I don't know how I got over that, but I was staying devoted to what you told me to. I was standing my word, I was worshiping. I, don't, I didn't grow myself, faith myself because there's no way I would be able to get over this situation. This has to be some kind of faith that you've placed in me. You get what I'm saying? Let me, let me explain this. I need to slow down. So we get saved through faith, and God gives us that gift of faith. He gives it to us, right? And we didn't do anything to get that. We all understand that, that the faith that we, get, that we got to, for salvation is a gift from God. But we don't under, we also we take that and then we think we, grow, we, we give ourselves the extra faith to go from the next step to the next step. But we don't do that. We're only placing ourselves in the place for him to give us the faith to move on to the next thing. You know what I'm saying? Because it talks about how we can grow our faith, right? We can grow our faith through hearing of the word and all those things. But that is only placing us in the position for him to give us the faith. That's not us actually growing it because we don't grow anything. God grows it. Oh, okay, I think I've, uh, that's coming from, I don't know where, but I'm, I'm going to say it. right. So we, we see ourselves in a place through the hearing of the word. Here's an example. We can use a physical example. Right now, all of you have planted yourself in this church to hear word, right? So as I speak the word of God, your faith is growing, But it's not you that's growing it. You just being obedient to what he said. God is growing it right now. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so in our life, when we go from faith to faith, and we're at a place where maybe somebody else isn't, we still can't look back and say, you know what? If they would just, no, because you didn't grow your own faith. I mean, you were obedient to the word, but you were only obedient because his faith pushed you to do that from the first place. So we don't have the ability to boast. I, I say that because I want us to be a humble bunch. Because if, if, if we are not, then we will look down on the people that we need to be reaching for. And we will be serving. I've said this before. We will be serving from a position that is up here. I'm up here, so I'm helping you because you're down there. Rather than saying, rather than being, I used to be down here with you. I know what that feels like here. This is what, this is what got me up here. Rather than this position. Here, I'm up here. Here you go. And that's what happens when, uh, for example, I, when we see homeless and you see somebody pull up and they're like, hey, man, here you go. And I've done this before, so don't, don't think I'm talking about anybody. I'm talking about me. Hey, I see this homeless guy, I pull up in Walmart, go get him something to eat, get him a Bible and all this, and then I go give it to him. But my heart behind it is only because, well, I, I have this. I have more than he does, so I'm going to give him something. What if you were on the same level playing ground? Would you still have that same heart? That's that's the problem behind that. That's the problem from not seeing that we don't boast in our faith. We don't boast in where we are. Uh, verse number... 10, we cannot boast in our works because we are his work, we are his creation, and we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, and I love this scripture because we are created in Christ Jesus, and as long as we remain in him, we'll walk into the good works that he's called us to do. We don't have to somehow force the good works. They just come. We don't have to force it. They just come. He's already prepared it beforehand. Before you were alive, he had already prepared the good works you were supposed to do. Before you got saved, he was already preparing for you to have some good works. You just have to make sure you stay in Christ Jesus. That's the problem. The moment we stop sitting with Christ in heavenly places, and we get to our, when uh, we get in our own fleshly mindset, in our own fleshly world. And we start walking in our own path. We start walking in us. We miss all the good works that he has already prepared in front of us. Verse number 11. And he begins to specify who he's talking to now. Um, Here he's speaking to Gentiles. He says, therefore remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh. You had no way to God who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh of hands. We can go to verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ. Talking to Gentiles. So he's not talking to Jews here who had the promises of God, who had the commandments and all these things that would allow them to be in relationship with God. He's talking to Gentiles. He says uh, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Somebody say, without Christ, no hope. Verse number 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Didn't matter how far you were off, the blood had the power to bring you near, to bring you close, to bring you in relationship. With God, Verse number 14, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Let me explain what you're talking about, what, he, what he's saying here. We've already learned at Romans that uh, Christ is our peace because he has made us whole together with God. He's allowed us to be in relationship with him. That is not what he's talking about right here in this verse. had to let that sit for a moment. That is not what he's talking about. In this verse, now I just told you he got specific and was talking to the Gentiles. Now he's talking about uh, the peace between the Gentiles and the Jews. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about Jewish believers and Gentile believers. So this verse shows us that we are to be at peace with one another. We're supposed to be at peace together. That yeah, we are supposed to be one together, connected together. He says in verse number. Uh, well, let me get. Let me say this first. It says he has broken down the middle wall of separation. All of those things that separate us, and he's gonna talk. He's gonna talk about it in a second what he's talking about specifically between the Jews and Gentiles, but all those things between our cultures that separate us, he's put all of those things down. All of the the cultural boundaries that have been set around each other have been pulled down. There is no more wall of separation. Verse number 15, I'm going to explain that. He he having abolished, I can't read, I wrote too much. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments and contained in ordinances so as to create to himself one new man from thus, thus making peace. He abolished in his flesh, abolished, he completed, he made a no, he brought to no effect. He abolished. The enmity, the hatred that was between the Jews and the Gentiles. And how did he abolish it? Because he fulfilled the law. The law was what made the Jews thought that they were better than the Gentiles. And the Gentiles had no way to God because they did not have the law. And Jesus fulfilled the law. He accomplished the law so that we, Gentiles, all of us in here, can accept Christ. And now we can be one with the Jews. And I'm going to take that, and I'm going to tell you that all the cultural walls that we've built up and the things that we have that that separate us in our country, that separate us in our community, Christ has torn those down as well. He's torn them down as well. So we can be one, we can be made alive and living together. Verse number 16. And that he might be reconciled, that he might reconcile—still too much writing on that, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Verse number seventeen. And he came and preached peace, to, preached peace to you who were far, far off, and to those who were near. Next verse. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father through Christ. We have access to God through his spirit to the Father. Next verse, 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Who are you? You are made alive together. You were raised up together, and you are seated together in heavenly places. We're no longer strangers, but we are one. Connected by the Spirit of God that connects us to the Father. Verse number 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are all built on Christ. And as we continue to grow and we continue to make disciples, we are building a holy temple for the Lord to dwell in. That's who we are, church. Wake up. That's who we are, building a holy temple for God. That's why it's important that we prepare ourselves and that we are making sure that we are in the right mindset and our focus is on Christ. Because if our stone is out of place just a little bit, it kind of gives, it makes the building weak. It makes the temple weak. So we must assure that we are putting ourselves in the place that we're supposed to be in the right mindset, in the right uh, areas, making sure we're hearing from God, that we are seated in heavenly places and not finding ourselves being seated just within, simply within ourselves. Verse number 22, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Know who you are. This is who we are made alive together, raised up together. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ together. Yes, we were dead, but now we are alive, together with Christ. Let's work on that, okay? When you see somebody who you know is a believer, not I ain't talking about here, I'm talking about anywhere, encourage them, greet them. The church is huge, and until we begin to work together, we will always fail when we build our personal holy temples rather than one big temple. He's made us alive together. We are together. You see somebody from another church? Don't get upset with them how they do their stuff. Who cares? They believe in Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. Hey, we ride along with you. I don't care if you Speaking tongues, all service that don't matter. That have nothing to do with me. That's secondary issues. We are made together. We're supposed to love one another. Love those who are around you. I right? encourage those who are around you. Encourage those who are with you. We are the church. We are the church. Okay. And I'm not. Don't. Please don't mistake me here. Because don't mistake me. I'm. I'm trying. I'm trying to help us because we are. We are all in a mindset where. And Pastor Dylan said this on Wednesday, that the church are the body of believers that are growing in God. They're growing in Christ. So when, when we talk about the church, we somehow designate what the church is to just this building or just buildings around the community. But that's not it. The church is believers. The church is the school. When we, every Monday through Friday, we have church. Every Monday through Friday, whether it's just the five teachers that show up in the meeting. If we're the only believers that are growing, that's the church. And so you you don't get that mixed up. Don't get that confused.